I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One-sixth score years and five months ago, I laid out this podcast mission statement in the very first episode. And in that show, I promised, come what may, there were certain lines we were not going to cross. We were going to stay in our anti-conspiracist lane, and we weren't going to get dragged into the mud by anything so tawdry as a political fight. But, my straniacs, times have changed. I stand before you a man... Well... You hover in their ears, a pseudonymous, disembodied podcasting voice. Don't fuck with the flow, Dana. I stand before you, a man who's come to realize that sometimes, in the face of dire circumstances, a podcast has to take a stand. To strongly oppose those forces that would threaten our unique way of life. And that is why, in spite of my assurances three and a half years ago, I have determined that this show will, for the first time, endorse a candidate for President of the United States. Thank God. I cannot believe you held on to this false objectivity for so long. It's about time you acknowledge that that mindless, pick-ignorant, bloated sack of orange garbage isn't fit to run a septic tank, much less the most powerful country in the world. And for that reason, the paranoid strain officially endorses Donald Trump. Wait, what the fuck? You're endorsing that piece of shit? The guy who espoused anti-vax nonsense? The guy who promulgates one self-serving conspiracy theory after another? The fucking inspiration behind QAnon? Jesuit, how could you? Oh, uh, sorry, Dana, I should have clarified. All of the real people behind this show, from you to Arizona and the orchestra to Willem UFO, and especially the real-life guy who's reading this script right now, wouldn't piss on that motherfucker if he was on fire. But how, in good conscience, could Fearful Jesuit and his show fail to give a ringing endorsement to the individual most responsible for turning our entire world into a rollicking cavalcade of never-ending conspiracy theories? We used to worry about running out of topics. Ha! If he gets another four years, our grandkids are going to be talking about the nonsense he and his followers will gin up. Case in point, we're about to spend a whole quick show just talking about the conspiracy theories that have dominated our political discourse since one man took an awkward ride down an escalator in 2015. And so, for the good of the podcast, we can only say one thing. Four more years, or eight, or 16, or whatever that dumb fuck thinks he's entitled to this week. Do it for insanity. Do it for your favorite podcast. Welcome back to the Paranoid Strain. Election Day, quick hit. Edition. Penance, Penance, 
This here is, as we noted, a quick hit. So we're not going through the full standard introductory spiel. For new listeners, this episode is a time-sensitive one-off that's a break from our ongoing political conspiracies series. We're about to wrap that series up with a tasty dollop of Reagan-era conspiracy mongering. Feel free to catch up with the preceding five episodes to be ready to hear that one next time. This time, we're starting in June of 2015 and rolling forward as quickly as we can to try to cover the lows, the deeper lows, and the unfathomably deep lows of the conspiracy-mongering nonsense that the Trump era has released upon our national political discourse. We'll go in chronological order as much as we can. We know we said we were going to cover QAnon in this episode, but it turns out that we have an extra special QAnon feature we'll be putting out in the next few months. No less than an interview with someone who was, up until recently, actually a QAnon believer. We'll talk to him about how he fell into it, how he got out, and also offer a post-election update on where that freak show of a mutating cult may be headed next. Also, just covering the non-QAnon stuff gave us plenty to chew on here. In addition, we should note that we're skipping over a number of things that we covered in previous episodes, like Trump's occasional endorsement of anti-vaxxer lunacy. For more on that, check the archive. But now, let me take you back to a day in the spring of 2015 when people heard for the first time about a hilarious joke candidacy for the next year's presidential election. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing so hard I'm having trouble even getting the words out. Uh, this uh, completely unqualified reality show buffoon who is, uh, in the immortal words of friend Leibovich, a poor person's idea of a rich person is actually, <laughs> honest to God, running for president. <laughs> yeah, of the United States. <laughs> I know, it's a, it's a riot. So funny I could cry. Anywho, Trump awkwardly descended an escalator in his building in front of a paid crowd of supporters slash employees and gave a series of remarks that, depending on how you look at them, launched the very first conspiracy theory of his campaign. This one regarding undocumented immigrants coming over the U.S.'s southern border. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. Please note, while this was the first conspiracy theory promulgated by Donald Trump, 2016 presidential candidate, it was far from the first conspiracy theory that Donald Trump, famous person, had supported. The most obvious of these pre-campaign conspiracy theories being the legendary birther Obama born in Kenya nonsense you already know all about, so we're skipping it. So. Obviously, Trump's suggestion is wrong on its face, as a brief glance at crime statistics will tell you. To wit, immigrants, both documented and non, commit crimes at a lower rate than do native-born citizens. But that aspect is just Trump lying, not Trump fomenting a conspiracy. The conspiracy part comes from his implication that the aforementioned drug-dealing rapist criminals were not simply migrating here of their own accord, but rather that Mexico is sending them. That, of course, makes it seem as if there's a coordinated effort by the Mexican and presumably other Central and South American governments to offload criminals into the U.S. This is, obviously, patently untrue, but still set the tone for a lot of horseshit to come. I think you mean racist horseshit to come. Well, sure, but there's at least some non-racist horseshit in there, too. Fair enough. Carry on. So, in terms of conspiracy theories per se, the good stuff starts, according to the search engine Wayback Machine, at around September of 2015. That's when a bemused nation started hearing clips like this from candidate Trump's rallies. And I like this guy. from White Plains. Amen. Okay. We have a problem in this country. It's called Muslims. We know our current president is one. 
Right. You know he's not even an American. We need this First question. This man. question. <laughs> but anyway, we have training camps growing where they want to kill us. Mm -hmm. That's my question. When can we get rid of We're going to be looking at a lot of different things. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that, and a lot of people are saying that bad things are happening out there. We're going to be looking at that and plenty of other things. Ah, okay. uh, yes. Do you remember those halcyon days of yore when the nightly news would cover a variety of fairly normal-sounding topics, and then only occasionally you'd see some lunacy arising from candidate Trump's frequent circus-like hate-a-paloozas? When you didn't have to hear from him 24 goddamned hours per day? Yeah, that was a nice time. It will, I trust, not surprise any of you to discover that some cursory digging by Washington Post reporters uncovered the fact that the reported Muslim training camps you just heard mentioned, were actually just a couple of rural settlements populated by small groups of people who had decided to get out of the urban rat race and raise their kids in a more conservative religious milieu. You know, like the kind of thing a lot of Trump evangelical voters would love to do themselves. But they're not Muslims, so it's different. Right. And speaking of Muslims, this is also the heyday of the completely false Trump claim, which he frequently repeated at his 2015 rallies, that a vast number of American Muslims were cheering the 9-11 attacks. Trump first made the remarks at a rally Saturday and then stood by them Monday night at an event in Columbus, Ohio. During a speech recently, I said that I saw people getting together and in fairly large numbers celebrating as the World Trade Center was coming down, killing thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people. And I saw them on television, and I read about it on the Internet. When called on the inaccuracy of this claim in an interview with George Stephanopoulos, candidate Trump seemed to imply that at the time there was significant coverage of this event that he had imagined, but that since then some sort of cover-up had transpired. You know, the police say that didn't happen at all. Those rumors have been on the Internet for some time. So did you meet, misspeak it did yesterday? Happen. I saw it. it you was saw that with your I own eyes? It. George, it did, say it didn't happen. There were people that were cheering in the other side of New Jersey where you have large Arab populations. They were cheering as the World Trade Center came down. I know it might be not politically correct for you to talk about it, but there were people cheering as that building came down, as those buildings came down. And that tells you something. It was well covered at the time, George. Now, I know they don't like to talk about it, but it was well covered at the time. There were now, we're still in the primary period of the 2016 election, of course. And one of the most interesting phenomena that arises in the fall and winter of 2015 is the suggestion by other Republican candidates that somehow Trump's very candidacy involves a conspiracy of some kind. Specifically, candidate Jeb Bush retweeted Trump's assertion that 68% of his supporters would vote for him if he lost the nomination but ran as a third-party candidate. And Bush added, Maybe Donald negotiated a deal with his buddy Hillary Clinton. Continuing this path will put her in the White House. This tweet alludes to the fact that, prior to running against her, celebrity Donald Trump long had a perfectly friendly relationship with the Clintons. But it also hints at a full-on conspiracy theory circulating during this time. See, Bill Clinton phoned the Donald a month or so before he announced as a candidate. The idea in this conspiracy is that the former president, seeking to boost his wife's chances, encouraged Trump to enter the fray as a spoiler, either to sow Nixon-esque rat-fucking chaos into the primary, or to end up as a third-party vote-splitting thorn in the side of the eventual Republican nominee. Jeb Bush, at that point, seeming her most likely opponent. At worst, the 2015 theory goes, if Trump somehow miraculously became the candidate, he would be an easy foil for Ms. Clinton on her inevitable, historically ordained sweep into the presidency. 
and upward to the particularly consequential year of 2016. This was truly the year when Trump began to suck all of the media oxygen out of the airwaves, the point where he became the ubiquitous, as did his conspiracy theorizing. After all, as he became first the frontrunner, then the Republican nominee, and finally, and still unbelievably, the 45th president of the United States, his wild, unhinged conjectures came to have more and more power and importance. Which is a shame, because if anything, this is also where the crazy shit hit the president's most irrational fans. Early in the year, for example, when Justice Scalia died, and at the point at which it appeared that President Obama would be able to name his successor to the court, conspiracies exploded across the internet that the death was the result of foul play. That story was largely based on the ill-chosen description of a pillow's position that had been uttered by the owner of the resort where Scalia was staying. But of course, Trump immediately began leveraging this nonsense to suggest some sort of unspecified actions by those in power. They say they found the pillow on his face, which is a pretty unusual place to find a pillow. For the second time this week, Donald Trump expressed skepticism about how Justice Scalia died. I mean, no autopsy being planned. You know, you're really talking about the balance of the court. That's big stuff. This is wow. history. The suggestion that Scalia may have been a victim of foul play took hold in part because a state judge declared Scalia dead over the phone, something that is allowed by Texas law. Scalia. He didn't say Obama killed Scalia. He just wants you to come to that insane conclusion on your own. This is a pattern that Trump will continue to use throughout his candidacy in first term. As a rule, when he talks positively about a conspiracy theory, he will defend his indefensible statements with some version of the old I'm just pointing it out dodge or the idea that he's noting that other people are talking about it. So many people. A huge number of people. You wouldn't believe how many people. I was surprised, to be honest, how many people were talking about it. Take, for example, his dredging up of the Vince Foster suicide conspiracy in a May 2016 interview with The Washington Post. Those among you too young to recall this story from the first time around, Vince Foster was a White House counsel during the Clinton administration who died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound about six months into Clinton's first term. Forensically, there was no question about the suicide, but back in the 90s, there were an endless series of conspiracy theories played out in anti-Clinton circles that he had been murdered by the Clintons for knowing too much about one or the other of their dastardly schemes. This was eventually rolled into an overall Clinton body count plotline, accusing them of having a hand in dozens of deaths, which was promulgated for decades among what Hillary Clinton called the vast right-wing conspiracy. But Trump was, of course, happy to revive it during the 2016 campaign. Then there was the moment, which I remember at the time thinking would clearly be the high point. For normal people, he means low point. Of the conspiracy mongering of the 2016 campaign, the oh come on moment that came when Trump suggested that Ted Cruz's father, a Cuban-American, was in fact one of the figures captured in archival footage of Lee Harvey Oswald handing out pro-Castro literature in New Orleans the summer before the JFK assassination, and thus, by implication, was perhaps himself involved in the JFK assassination that transpired later that year. This man is a pathological liar. Ted Cruz erupts after Donald Trump links Cruz's father to none other than JFK assassin Lee Harvey Oswald. His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being 
you know, shot. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What, what, what is this right prior to his being shot? And nobody even brings it up. I mean, they don't even talk about that. That was reported uh, and nobody talks about it. Trump made the explosive allegations in a live phone call on Fox and Friends, basing them on a report in last week's National Enquirer. Ted Cruz father. We're not going to dignify this accusation. Except insofar as we may use it to promote our comprehensive three-hour-plus takedown of JFK conspiracy mongering, available for your downloading delight in the podcast feed. But it's worth pausing for a moment to note that in spite of it, Cruz seemed happy to have Trump's support during a contested 2018 Senate race, insane accusations or no. Then, of course, there was the endless chorus of Trump and surrogates insisting that Hillary Clinton was seriously ill in the final weeks of the campaign. The story was that Clinton was in such poor health that she couldn't possibly handle the rigors of the presidency. The former secretary did, indeed, have the flu during the final stretch of her campaign, but the suggestion was that her handlers were hushing up some far worse, more debilitating, disqualifying, long-term condition. Some noted, ironically, that it was around the fourth anniversary of Trump promulgating these ideas that he himself was hospitalized with the coronavirus, and the serious of his actual condition was, indeed and admittedly, soft-pedaled by his doctors under the rationale of keeping everyone from panicking. So, let's see. This list is finally getting shorter. Looks like we just have his awful, completely baseless assertion that, instead of allowing a small number of carefully vetted Syrian refugees into the country, President Obama was letting unvetted refugees pour in and that a potential President Trump would, of course, stop that. Okay, that looks like that wraps this up. But you're not even close to finished. Well, I know I skipped some, like global warming being a Chinese hoax, but that really started before his candidacy and... No, I mean, this whole show has only gotten up to the 2016 election. You haven't touched any of the wild conspiracy nonsense that's transpired in the four years since Trump got into office. Fuck! Shit, this thing's never gonna end. All right, bring out the big guns. Dana, summon the lightning round. Parents, quick hit, lightning round. Trump Presidency Edition. Feel the excitement. You'll pay for your whole seat, but you'll only need the air. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Whoa there, guy. Uh, Dana, did you mash up the pills and mix them into the quick hit guy's oatmeal like I asked? Yes, but the doctor said we needed to cut down. And frankly, I'm concerned with your cavalier attitude towards his medication. Dana, the listeners are here. We'll talk about this later. Fine, but you're cleaning up after him. Jesus, fine. So, everyone, the lightning round. That's where we self-impose a time limit for each topic, enforcing it with everyone's favorite force of nature. That's right, boy. Okay, one minute per topic. Let's hit it. Oh, but her emails. The big one, of course, for 2016. This was the issue of the 33,000 or so emails that candidate Clinton had deleted from her improperly set up home email server. Now, obviously, there were legitimate concerns about this practice, especially at the time, and Trump and co. have continually harped on the topic for literally four and a half years now. But we think the real fun starts down the road with the Burisma nonsense, so we're punting till we get to the later years. And then, of course, the thing no one, including, according to numerous reports, the candidate himself, thought would happen. Happened. Donald Trump wins Wisconsin, surpassing the 270 electoral votes. He would need to take the presidency. That is what we are seeing on the screen. It has been a stunning night. It has been a historic night. It is a night.
And here we begin 2017 and the Trump presidency with a doozy. Between three and five million people voted illegally in 2016. The first conspiracy theory of the Trump presidential era was actually the insistence that people's eyes were conspiring to make them believe that his inauguration crowds were smaller than President Obama's 2008 crowds. But even the most gullible seem not to have bitten on that one. So we're starting with the completely unfounded suggestion that millions of illegal votes went to Secretary Clinton in 2016. There is, of course, no evidence for this, but that doesn't mean there aren't disingenuous yahoos who claim they have the evidence, fail to produce the evidence, and yet get retweeted by the chief executive of the U.S. Weird, right? Anyway, this definitely qualifies as a conspiracy theory because it presumes that nefarious, presumably Democrat-friendly forces are hiding the truth of these literally millions of fraudulent votes from various precincts, tabulated in different ways under different state rules and in such a way that this completely impossibly coordinated campaign still fails to impact the election results. Quick question, if you were going to commit massive voter fraud, why would you, as Trump seems to imply, run up the scoreboard in California, where he was definitely going to lose, instead of just, say, perpetrating a few thousand fraudulent votes in Michigan or Pennsylvania, where they might have made a fucking difference? Obama spied on the Trump campaign. On March 4th of 2017, when he had been president just over a month, Trump dropped two tweets that would have been huge political news had they been, you know, true. They read verbatim. Terrible. Just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. How low has President Obama gone to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon Watergate. Bad or sick guy. As near as anyone can tell, this is a convenient misinterpretation of the true fact that the FBI was investigating Trump's campaign aide, Carter Page. The suggestion that Trump Tower or the campaign was bugged by the nefarious Obama administration is, as the saying goes, evidence-free horseshit. But this, of course, is also the allegation that eventually morphed into the Obamagate non-conspiracy assertion that the 2020-era Trump keeps harping on. So again, we're going to come back to it. Windmills cause cancer. As near as we can tell, this is Trump trying to start a conspiracy theory rather than simply amplifying one, which is more his standard modus operandi. A great Washington Post article from April of 2017, when Trump unleashed this whopper, traces the president's long history of opposition to windmills, which unsurprisingly dates back to his belief that offshore wind farms would ruin the views from one of his Scottish golf courses. In addition to overstating real issues like the birds that are inevitably killed by wind turbines, he also fired off this doozy at a fundraising dinner. If you have a windmill anywhere near your house, congratulations, your house just went down 75% in value. And they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? As near as we can tell, even the president's most ardent fans haven't really tried to stick with this one, so we're moving on, but it was so weird we had to include it. Joe Scarborough murdered his congressional aide. Trump is still feasting on this, one of the most repugnant conspiracy theories he has ever embraced, mostly because he really hates former Congressman Joe Scarborough, his wife Mika Brzezinski, and their show on MSNBC, Morning Joe. Now, I hate canned asparagus, but I have never suggested that canned asparagus murdered a young congressional staffer during its time representing Florida in the House of Representatives. To be fair, there are probably a number of reasons why you haven't suggested that. 
Yeah, but there are also a number of reasons why Trump shouldn't have been repeatedly tweeting lies about Scarborough and his staffer over the past three years. The death of Lori Klausudis at the tragically young age of 28 was due to natural, if thankfully rare, medical causes. Specifically, she lost consciousness due to an abnormal heart rhythm and fatally struck her head as she collapsed. But because her body was discovered in Scarborough's office, conspiracy theorists did their awful, irresponsible voodoo, and suddenly her family and her innocent former boss are required to spend the rest of their lives wondering when some jackass with no moral compass and an outsized Twitter following is going to dredge it up again. But perhaps the most lasting conspiracy theory that Trump embraced in 2017 was... The Deep State. This is just a reimagining of classic conspiracist tropes, the idea that behind the scenes there's a secretive and incredibly powerful network of operatives working to subvert the will of the people and their representatives and to bend the operations of government and society to their own nefarious purposes. Like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. See our second episode for a deep dive. We're not saying the deep state is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, of course, but in the hands of the president and his supporters, it definitely sounds like the deep state is extremely powerful and absolutely evil, in the same way that anti-Semites insist the rabbis in the protocols are. There is no question that there are those in government who, through action or inaction, have at various points worked to counter the impact of the administration's policies or to slow roll some of the president's most off-the-cuff and potentially disastrous whims. Some of these people are, no doubt, politically opposed to Trump, while others may be loyal but attempting to head off disaster, a trait they share with Nixon staffers who were told not to follow some of Nixon's orders in the late days of his administration because he was frequently drunk and raging in the wee hours of the night. Trump and those who support him go farther, though, seeming to blame any downturn, mistake, or poor result on the deep state. The Mueller report is the deep state. The Ukraine phone call whistleblower, deep state. The deep state is keeping us from getting Hillary's emails. The phrase has become nearly as ubiquitous as fake news and is nearly as useless. All it does is imply that all things that go wrong are the fault of these mysterious, coordinated actors. Left-wing, anti-Trump conspiracy theories. This was also the year when we started to see a lot of folks who were stridently opposed to the Trump administration begin to embrace their own conspiracy-addled view of the world. A number of left-wing journalists, most notably Matt Taibbi of Rolling Stone, have pointed out that over the endless months of breathless anticipation of the Mueller report, MSNBC engaged in all sorts of wild conjecture about the far-ranging impacts and damning prosecutable conclusions it would draw, which had the effect of muting the report's eventual genuinely disturbing information about Russian attempts to infiltrate and influence Trump's campaign, and even the president's own obstruction-of-justice-adjacent attempts to stop the investigation. But the left got way crazier than just Maddow and co. For example, a British former MP named Louise Mensch began reporting all sorts of totally baseless, but breathless, supposed news. We're going to quote one amazing paragraph, compliments of a great Daily Dot article on Mensch, to give you an example. Yes, she actually wrote this. I exclusively reported there was a RICO case against the entire GOP as a body. This is because they accepted, via Ren's prepus, washed Russian money, sources say. Saudi Arabian intelligence picked up a voice recording of a panicked Mr. Priebus, fresh off F was one, claiming he would seek asylum in Saudi Arabia. He was under a UFAP, unlawful flight to avoid prosecution warrant, and was immediately brought back to America under compulsion by air marshals who had been placed on Air Force One. I'm going to quickly retranslate into English. Mensch suggested that then-White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus, 
because he had illegally laundered Russian funds, presumably for the Trump administration, was fleeing to seek asylum in fucking Saudi Arabia for some goddamn reason, and as a result of his actions, the entire Republican Party, more than half of the government at the time, was being indicted under the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. The one created to prosecute the mob. Think of the final scenes of Goodfellas where they start rolling up the crew. Forget about it. Because reasons. Now, that's not as crazy as QAnon, but it gives windmills cause cancer a run for its money. And to be fair, Trump had absolutely nothing to do with it. The main outcome of this overblown hyperventilation over Russia and various attendant imaginary scandals on the left was that by the time the Ukraine scandal rolled around, a scandal that had far more evidence of malfeasance attached than Russiagate, Trump and his supporters were able to feed off of a general sense by the public that the whole Russia story was overblown, so Ukraine was just more of the same. In other words, it seems that in the Trump era, no politically engaged person is safe from conspiracy mania, no matter how anti-Trump that person may be. You have completely abandoned the lightning round timer, haven't you? Yeah, I guess I got carried away there. But let's... let's try to wrap this motherfucker up right quick. Lightning round! We need you again, boy! On to 2018. As near as we can tell, 2018 didn't see the president latch on to a lot of totally new conspiracy theories, mostly rehashes of existing ones. The major exception, of course, being... Hurricane Maria. This conspiracy is not about the storm, but rather about the allegation from Trump that the Democrats somehow deliberately faked the number of people who died in the wake of the disaster to make his administration look bad. Or, to quote the tweeter-in-chief himself, 3,000 people did not die in the two hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. When I left the island after the storm had hit, they had anywhere from 6 to 18 deaths. As time went by, it did not go up by much. Then, a long time later, they started to report really large numbers, like 3,000. This was done by the Democrats in order to help me look as bad as possible when I was successfully raising billions of dollars to help rebuild Puerto Rico. If a person died for any reason, like old age, just add him onto the list. Bad politics. I love Puerto Rico. Not much to say about this one, except, well, calculating the total number of people killed in a natural disaster sometimes takes a significant amount of time. And while we're confident that the weather is, indeed, in a conspiracy to defame Donald Trump, there's of course no evidence of any attempt by Democrats to inflate or falsify this number. Ha! Back on track. On to 2019, which was a banner year for bullshit, led mainly by two items. The Ukraine scandal and subsequent impeachment and exoneration of the president, and the arrest and suicide... Or was it? Dun, dun, dun. ...of Jeffrey Epstein, sex trafficker, pedophile, and friend of former President Bill Clinton, as well as current President Donald Trump. Let's start with the kitty diddler, because his death came before the Ukraine revelations. Now, we already covered Epstein before in our Quick episode earlier this year, and we remain open to the possibility that Epstein was, let's say, helped, at the very least, in his suicide. We're waiting for the investigations to be completed. But also, not really a huge loss to humanity as a whole. What we didn't mention before was the fact that Trump, perhaps in order to obscure his previous very friendly statements about the man, 
jumped in with both feet on the thus far baseless suggestion that President Clinton, or former Secretary of State Clinton, had a hand in the aforementioned suicide assist. As is frequently the case with Trump conspiracy endorsements, this was in the form of a retweet of the nonsensical speculations of one of his followers. When asked about this retweet, Doesn't it still seem weird to hear a phrase like, the president was asked about his retweet? No? Have you all gotten used to it? Because we still haven't. Trump responded with this non-denial denial of the thing he had just promoted. I have no idea. I know he was on the plane 27 times, and he said it was on the plane four times. But when they checked the plane logs, Bill Clinton, who was a very good friend of Epstein, he was on the plane about 27 or 28 times. So why did he say four times? And then the question you have to ask is, did Bill Clinton go to the island? Because Epstein had an island that was not a good place, as I understand it, and I was never there. So you have to ask, did Bill Clinton go to the island? If you find that out, you're going to know a lot. Did I do this episode just so I could make Dana do Trump impressions over and over? The investigation is ongoing. So there's smoke, but we don't know if there's fire in the Epstein case. Not that that's stopping the president, and not that it ever does. On to... Ukraine Gate. We're giving ourselves three minutes for this one. Ready? Go! Hopefully all of you recall that the president, in 2019, was reported to have threatened to withhold military support from the Ukrainian government unless and until they investigated one of his pet conspiracy theories about eventual 2020 campaign opponent, Joe Biden. This, of course, definitely actually happened and led to his impeachment trial a few months later. But what we're interested in is the conspiracy theory that led to this phone call. You see, Trump's personal lawyer and part-time Nosferatu impersonator Rudy Giuliani is convinced that an admittedly shady-seeming situation, that is, Vice President Biden's son Hunter, being given a highly lucrative seat on the board of the notoriously corrupt firm Burisma, the largest natural gas company in Ukraine, shortly after he was kicked out of the Navy for drug use, is evidence that Joe Biden is in the pocket of Ukrainian mobsters or something. It's basically the... Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the United puppet, States. No puppet. And it's pretty clear... You're the puppet. It's pretty... Of the Russiagate Mueller matter. Now, again, it was a really shitty and maybe, unfortunately, typical lapse of judgment on Hunter Biden's part to take this job, for which he was totally unqualified, while his dad was part of an administration that was pressuring Ukraine to clamp down on corruption. Stipulated. But the conspiracy theory gets super weird from here. Back in 2017, Giuliani starts meeting with Ukrainian officials on Trump's behalf, lobbying for them to launch an investigation into Joe and Hunter Biden, and, oh hell, while we're at it, Hillary Clinton's emails as well. See? We told you we'd get back around to the stuff. And eventually, not getting the results he wanted from this effort, Trump himself made his infamous Perfect phone call. It was perfect. In 2019 to Ukraine's new president and made the military aid withholding threat. But the most amazing part of this story is how deep Trump appears to believe the Ukrainian democratic conspiracy against him goes. Like, he really seems to think that the Ukrainian government was collaborating far more closely with the Clinton campaign than the depths that even the most perfervid Louise Mensch acolyte would have suspected his own campaign had sunk with regard to Russia. A September 2019 NBC.com article attempts to figure out what the following excerpt from the perfect summary of the perfect, perfect call means. I would like to do us a favor, though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say CrowdStrike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people. The server, they say Ukraine has it. 
So as near as we can make out, Trump not only wants an investigation of Biden and Burisma, plus the purported Ukrainian efforts on behalf of Clinton in the 2016 election, he also for some reason seems to think that CrowdStrike, the private security firm hired by the DNC to investigate the Russian hack of their email servers in 2016, is somehow owned by a wealthy Ukrainian, and that further, because of this imaginary connection, somewhere in the Ukraine is a server that has copies of the legendary 33,000 Clinton emails that Trump has literally never stopped talking about for four years. But none of these things are connected, and some are totally imaginary. Yeah, but that's what makes it fascinating. This isn't campaign rally Trump making up whatever locker-up justification he can toss out to give the crowds the red meat they're waiting for. This is Trump reaching out to a foreign head of state in service of a conspiracy theory that, while it makes no sense at all, he seems actually to believe. Which, if anything, is somewhat more worrying. My God, we've reached 2020. Here are the last few cappers on what has been perhaps the greatest period for mainstream conspiracy theorizing in the history of the United States. The plane loads of Antifa thugs. This quick one exists in both the I heard from somebody and the I'm saying something super racist, but I'd prefer if you wouldn't call me on it categories of Trump conspiracy, i.e. the classics and refers to the following word salad that Trump spun up in the midst of an interview with Fox News host Laura Ingram. We had somebody get on a plane from a certain city this weekend, and in the plane, it was almost completely loaded with thugs wearing these dark uniforms, black uniforms, with gear, and this and that. The implication being that, of course, this vital information is being covered up by the lamestream media, but that patriots need to be ready to defend their cities against savages. As is sadly par for the course these days, journalists immediately had to start figuring out what the president was talking about. It quickly became clear that, though the interview was held in September, Trump was referring back to an apocryphal and viral Facebook post from June in which a person purporting to be from Idaho claimed that a strikingly similar plane load of thugs from Seattle had just disembarked in Boise. While it's possible that Trump actually heard some super-secret info from an intelligence agency and just yacked about it on a talk show, it's more likely that this is just the equivalent of those hundred-times-forwarded emails you get from your dad telling you about the communists taking over the cereal aisle at the local Kroger. Obamagate. This one was initiated by a one-word tweet that came out in May. So, Dana, could you say that word again, but, like, Trumpy? It's... Unhealthy how much you enjoy this. Obamagate. Subsequent tweets explained it was another rebranding of his old complaints against his predecessor, or to quote an explainer article from The Independent. His belief that his predecessor Barack Obama was privy to, or directed, a grand conspiracy among U.S. intelligence officials to kneecap the Trump presidency in its nascence by using the FBI to entrap certain incoming Trump advisors, such as erstwhile National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Of course, this led to questions from the press, which in turn led to this doozy of an exchange. Mr. President, in one of your Mother's Day tweets, you appear to accuse President Obama of the biggest political crime in American history by oh. far. Those were your words. What crime exactly are you accusing President Obama of committing? And do you believe the Justice Department should prosecute him? Uh, Obamagate. It's been going on for a long time. It's been going on from before I even got elected. And it's a disgrace that it happened. And if you look at what's gone on, and if you look at now all of this information that's being released, and from what I understand, that's only the beginning. Uh, some terrible things happened, and it should never be allowed to happen in our country again. 
And you'll be seeing what's going on over the next — over the coming weeks. But I, and I wish you'd write honestly about it. But unfortunately, you choose not to do so. Yeah, John, please. Crime. What is the crime exactly that uh, you're accusing him of? You know what the crime is. The crime is very obvious to everybody. All you have to do is read the newspapers, except yours. You heard the man. We all know what the crime is. Except, you know, no crime. So if he's not going to tell us what he's talking about, we're going to assume he doesn't know what he's talking about. Solid assumption. Finally, we bring things up to date with the latest outrage from mid-November, the final month of his 2020 campaign, when Trump retweeted a completely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs accusation that Obama faked Osama bin Laden's death in the famous raid, and subsequently he and Biden collaborated to have the elite SEAL Team 6 that executed said raid killed in order to cover up their dastardly crime. So one last time, here are the facts. Osama bin Laden was killed by SEAL Team 6 in his compound in Pakistan. If you don't want to believe that or think it's a cover-up, then consider this. One of the worst things about that raid was the fact that the CIA gathered DNA from bin Laden's relatives living in the compound in advance of the raid to confirm that they had the right place, and they did so under the guise of a vaccination campaign. This fact has, as one might expect, set back the cost of vaccination in Pakistan, as people now think it's all a CIA front. For good reason. So... If they were pretending to do this raid, it seems weird they would risk setting back the cost of international vaccination to do it. How would that work if the vaccinations are also a vital conspiracy that's designed to control people? Why would they undermine the bigger, more important conspiracy for the sake of another, less important conspiracy? What the fuck am I even saying? Take a quick break, Dana. That's a lot of stupid to try to parse at once. Regardless, bin Laden was killed, and SEAL Team 6 wasn't as one of the members of that team who actually participated in the raid was quick to point out. Now Robert O'Neill, the SEAL Team 6 hero credited with killing bin Laden, is firing back. And we really killed Osama bin Laden. Today he's calling out the president for spreading what he calls baseless lies. These trolls are preying on family members of fallen soldiers. O'Neill tells Inside Edition he still supports President Trump, but he just can't let these baseless claims go unanswered. I'm a supporter of Trump, but I, I was also a supporter of President Obama and President Bush. I, I worked and President Clinton. I worked for all of them, um, but I refuse to be a yes man. I, I'm not going to agree with everything every president says. This bit of lunacy was apparently the final straw for Savannah Guthrie, the journalist who hosted a town hall with the president days after he sent up this road flare of insanity. So she asked what many of us have wanted to. Just this week, you retweeted to your 87 million followers a conspiracy theory that Joe Biden orchestrated to have SEAL Team 6, the Navy SEAL Team 6, killed to cover up the, the fake death of bin Laden. Now, why would you send a lot like that to your followers? It, you retweeted That was a retweet. That was a, an opinion of somebody. But, and that was a retweet. I'll put it out there. People can decide for themselves. I don't the take president. a position. You're not like someone's crazy uncle who no, can no, just retweet no, no. whatever. And that's the situation, isn't it? We've got a crazy uncle in the White House, bloviating about whatever self-serving conspiracist bullshit hoves into his field of view. Worst of all, he seems to believe a lot of it. And again, as we noted at the start, that's fucking great for this show. But you know what? If Trump's no longer president, we're still going to be hearing from him for a long, long time. He's going to generate those conspiracies, whether he's in the Oval Office or on his own TV network or just wandering down the street, ranting and raving at the passersby. So it's OK, Straniacs. You don't have to vote for him for the good of the show. You can vote for whichever candidate you think has a better chance of acting for the good of America instead of for himself and his family. 
you can vote to make our political lives a little saner. But what you absolutely, definitely, at this vitally important moment in American democracy, what you have to do is fucking vote. This has been a Paranoid Strain Quick Hit Election Edition. And we want you to get out there and get your vote counted. So we're not going to do a big ramp out. Just get your ballot in the mail or get to your local precinct and make your voice heard. On behalf of all of us at the Paranoid Strain, I'm Fearful Jesuit saying, the world is chaotic, but you have a chance to make it significantly less so. Vote.
Strain, do your research and vote because there's no alternative to facts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.